Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, thank you, Chris. That's a wonderful prayer to set us up this morning. It is a joy to be here, uh, and it is an honor to be here. Um, Chris, I'm a little third. Is there anything good in here? Okay, never mind. All right. No, I'm good. Just... <laughs> we are in the book of Ephesians, friends. Uh, in your compass, you will see that uh, we were supposed to look at a few different passages this morning, but a little last-minute audible dwelling in the book of Ephesians for a little while realized we want to spend our whole time here. So when you look in your compass... I encourage you to open up Ephesians. That's what we're going to be reading this morning. That's on page 976, 977 in your pew Bible. Whether you have a pew Bible or your own Bible, I strongly encourage you to open it up because this is the word of the Lord that we are sitting under. Now, I've been given the topic today to talk about the church as family, the church as family, and perhaps many of you have heard that idea, that concept, the church should be like your family, or the church should be your spiritual family. Now, it wasn't really hard to think about how close the connection to make between church and family. I think we all kind of just feel that. The hard part for me was to figure out what you think about when you hear the word family. For some people, any reference to family brings up wonderful associations. You know, like that picture-perfect family from the church directory. Everybody gets along. Yeah, see? Just like that. Thank you. Enough said. I'm done. Uh, Everybody gets along. A group of people who loves you and you love them. A group of people who will sacrifice for each other. A group of people who, no matter the disagreement... No matter the bitterness agreement, you know you can walk away, but we'll come back together, banding together, to stay together. A place where you feel safe, a place where you can go to with problems and that you know you'll be helped. That's a family for many people. But for other people, family is quite different. It's like those awkward family photos you see online. Your family is a group of people who you'd rather not associate with. (laughs) They're kind of social misfits, odd just out of sorts with life, that things just go better when you're not around them. You don't really know that that was our picture before we got airbrushed. (laughs) Um, Or worse yet, the mention of family brings up terrible experiences, past or present, with a group of people who've let you down. Far from being a safe space, family has done nothing but cause you grief and given you terrible hurt in your life. And if that's you today, I am sorry and sympathize with you when we think about family. But with these three kind of generalized portraits, it isn't a far stretch, I hope you see, to associate the idea of family with the idea of church. Even if it wasn't a overt biblical idea, I think we see the connection. That church is a group of people who get together regularly, just like a family. It's a group of people who, at its best, will commit to one another, sacrifice for each other, forbear each other's idiosyncrasies and faults. But at its worst, a church can be a place that causes you much hardship, resentment, anger, to the point you don't want to get together regularly. And you retreat and retract from those relationships. So what are we to do with these associations with church and family this morning? Well, one thing we could do is we could just come into church 
and assume that family, the church as family, is kind of what we expect it to be. So when things are going well and falling into line with our expectations, we love our church, we talk about our church, we come to church and all the things regularly. But when our expectations aren't met and the church and its people let us down, well, we retreat from the church, we retreat from the relationships, and we're not committed, and we rarely talk about our family in church. But just like those people who've had negative experiences with their biological family, innate to them, without being told, they know that family should be better than this, and that's why they're so greatly hurt. I think we know, and that we can grow in our understanding today, that church is like a family, and it should be better. Now, I say that at the same time as saying that Old North Church is a wonderful family, and there are people here committed to one another, but I know that I can grow as a family member to this body, and I think you can grow as a family member to this body. And that's why we come here week by week. We come with our assumptions. We come with our presuppositions, our predispositions, and we try to identify them. We try to open them up to the scrutiny of the Lord and his word, and in his mercy, he will change us. He will change our expectations and change our actions so that in this case, on this topic, we can grow to function not necessarily more like your ideal church as family, but more like God's ideal church as family. And we'll do so by looking at the book of Ephesians this morning. So I hope you have Ephesians open. We're going to read chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. Ephesians 1, 3 through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Well, I hope just these few verses, you can see quite clearly why we consider us in this room as family. We've all been adopted into the family of God, and now we can call him our beloved father. And I wish we could spend a bunch of time establishing this fact or reading up on Romans 8, which we read earlier, and looking at all of Ephesians 1. There's so much wonderful stuff there. But for our purposes and our topic today, I want to make a few observations about the text, especially verse 5. Look down there at verse 5. And the first observation is the elephant in the room, the P word, predestination. Now, I know some of you here today might be saying, great, this is such an important topic. I'm so glad we're talking about this again. Other people in the room might be saying, oh, here we go again. I never want to be part of a church that talks about this stuff so much. Can I encourage you not to get tripped up about this word? It's clearly there. It is clearly biblical. And it has a clear meaning. But my hunch is that some of the baggage and some of the fights and some of the confusion about this doctrine of predestination really does miss the grand wonderful and amazing point I think Paul wants us to be astonished by this morning. And that really comes not in the P word, but the A word in that sentence, adoption. There's that phrase you see there in verse 5, adopted as sons. 
And that's simply a metaphorical phrase that Paul uses to talk about how the Ephesian Christians are now in a privileged position, just like the eldest son of a family would be in the Greco-Roman world. It was an initiation into a very privileged position that otherwise only natural-born sons had at that time. So to be adopted as a son simply means that now you are considered to be a legitimate heir to all the good things your father has for you. All his riches are and will be yours. And that's what Ephesians 1 is all about. But let's notice there the hard facts assumption that this passage gives us. It tells us and it infers that without adoption, you aren't part of God's family. And without adoption, you are estranged from the father and all his other children. Look at chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. And you were dead in the trespasses and the sins in which you once followed. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, and the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Among whom we all lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. According to Paul here, it is very clear that without adoption, you are, by your natural birth, a child of wrath. And like everyone else in the world, without adoption, you have no hope. Paul describes this state as being dead. You indeed will inherit something, but your inheritance to come is wrath and condemnation. And in that context, now we can say thanks be to God for the blessing of adoption. For now we are alive in Christ. And as chapter 2 verse 7 says, we are blessed with immeasurable riches. All because of Christ. Putting your trust in Jesus Christ ushers you in to a whole new family, a whole new set of relationships, and a whole new way of life. Someone said it this way, being adopted into God's family as sons and daughters is an incredible privilege because those now able to call upon him as father were at one time sons of disobedience. This happens only through Jesus Christ and all of this keeps the focus on Christ as much privilege as it benefits us. Now around here we talk a lot, rightly I believe, about justification by faith alone. We talk about it because it's of core substance to Christianity. But perhaps we've undervalued what Jim Packer calls the highest privilege of what the gospel offers. Even higher than justification. And that's adoption. Someone said it this way. To be declared righteous in the courtroom of God, that's one thing. However, it's quite another to be adopted into the family of God and to be able to call him Abba, Father. So here in Ephesians, the idea of predestination sets up a bigger and the main idea of adoption. So when you think of predestination, do you think of that wonderful, undeserved privilege of being brought into the family of God, where the creator of the universe who upholds all things is now your personal and caring and loving father? Is that what you think about when you think about predestination? Now, the question still stands, though, why does Paul bring up this seemingly controversial fact about predestination in relation to adoption? 
I mean, he could have just said, hey, you don't deserve it, but now you're adopted into God's family. Well, there was a problem going on in the church of Ephesus, a problem that uh, beset many of the churches in the New Testament. And this problem has centuries of backstories. It's the story and the history of how Jews and Gentiles were to relate. Now, this problem wasn't really a problem years ago. Jews and Gentiles would be separate, never to mix together, never to talk, never to relate to each other. I mean, after all, the Jews were God's people, God's special chosen people. And everyone else in the world, any non-Jew in the world, that person is a Gentile, child of wrath. But that's all different now. Because of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, all now can be accepted in God's eyes. As Paul writes to the church in Galatians, there is now neither Jew nor Greek nor Gentile, but all are one in Christ Jesus. But the problem here in Ephesus is they weren't acting like it. The Jewish Christians don't really like the Gentile Christians. And if they're going to be around, the Jews said, well, at least they should start acting like us, us Jews. If the Gentiles are going to hang out with us, well, they got to act more like us. That's how God's people really are to act. So there was this great divide in the church in Ephesus, Jews and everyone else. And so Paul writes this letter to them. He writes them so that the Ephesian church, both Jew and Gentile alike, understand with great poignancy that any divisiveness in the church is not just juvenile behavior, it's sinful behavior. Behavior that's not tolerated in the family of God when God the Father is in charge and Jesus is the elder brother. So right here at the start of the letter in Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul doesn't just talk about adoption. He talks about the fact that they have been predestined for adoption. In other words, Paul says to them, friends here in Ephesus, it's not just coincidence that you happen to be here in Ephesus, stuck together with a bunch of people who don't look like you, don't talk like you, who don't act like you. In fact, it's quite the opposite. Before the foundation of the world was laid... Your father assigned you to be right here with these people. You were predestined not just to live together. You were predestined not just to go to church together. You were predestined to be in the very same family. And that, says Paul, changes everything. Being adopted into God's family is a huge, momentous concept. One we will fail to grasp if we think that we ended up here at Old North Church because of some casual, incidental decisions. Well, you know, I came to Old North Church because it's close to home or they've got some really handsome pastors or, you know, the kids' programs are fantastic. Someone, lots of people over the years have got on me about my self-deprecation, so I decided to go the opposite direction this week, all right, so... Being here is not just a matter of these incidental decisions because of preferences and the like. Paul says, grasp the fact that you were predestined from the foundation before time even began to be here, united with these people around you to be in God's family together, all to the glory of God in Christ Jesus. 
Now, when I talk about this idea of predestination, we're not talking about the kind of fatalism which you might say, so pastor, are you telling me I was predestined to come into that, from that entrance today, on this day, and to sit with these clothes on and to sit next to these people? Are you telling me that's what this means? Well, those are silly, silly speculations about how the mechanics of the idea work. And this, those questions really miss the big point. What Paul is saying here is that you are gathered with a bunch of people here today in this church this morning and week after week because God has appointed you to be with these people for your own benefit and for the glory of Christ Jesus. And that's the point of the book of Ephesians. For your good, for your growth, for your maturity, for your holiness, and for the glory of Christ Jesus, you've been put together with each other, all those around you this morning, in this little outpost of God's worldwide family. And this was very intentional and very much planned. To quote a famous quote from To Kill a Mockingbird, Auntie, Jim spoke up, Atticus says, you can choose your friends, but you show can't choose your family. And they're still kin to you no matter whether you acknowledge them or not. And it makes you look downright silly when you don't. Well, that's a toned-down, quaint way of saying what Paul is saying. You can't choose your family. And it's a good thing, too. Because God, your Father in heaven, knows what he is doing. And it isn't some whim that he's brought you together here as brothers and sisters in Christ. And this same theme happens over and over again, comes up again in Ephesians. Look at chapter 2, verse 19. 219. So you are no longer citizens and, or no longer strangers and aliens, but now you're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God together. Chapter 3, verse 6. This mystery, this mystery that many of the prophets wanted to know, is that the Gentiles are now fellow heirs in the same household of God. Those people seated around you this morning. They aren't seated around you just because they happen to be here and sat in this place. Those people are adopted children of God. Members of the same household. Heirs of the same riches. People who have the same wonderful privilege as being in God's family just as you do. When I was a freshman at Grove City College, or when I went to freshman orientation about 19 years ago, going into Grove City College, I was yet another class of students who came in to what Grovers know is a very famous tradition and was given a very famous speech. We sat in a large auditorium like this, and Nancy Paxton, the dean of women for about 50 years when I got there, seemed to be, sat there and said, now I want everyone to sit there And I want you to turn to your left. And she waited. And now I want you to turn to your right. And she waited. And she said to us, there is a very good chance that in your glancing back and forth, left and right, that you have just seen your future spouse. Now, I'm grateful that didn't happen to me. (laughs) I met my wife later on. Praise God. But her point still stands. For those freshmen, the four years ahead of them would be so formative and so binding together that out of all those relationships, they will probably find someone to start their family with. Well, we could do the same exercise here this morning for a very different reason. You could look to your left, 
and you can look to your right, and in your looking to your left and right, you are looking and seeing someone who is already in your family. You are seeing a brother and sister in Christ. Because God has put us together into his family and bound us together by his spirit, we are thus then to live formative and binding lives all for the sake of the glory of Christ. Now, in the rest of the book, in Ephesians, Paul bases all that he has to say, all his applications to, those, to that church, based on what he says here in chapters 1 through 3. Now, we don't have time to look at length at chapters 4, 5, and 6, but let's just read the beginning part of his application section, and we'll see that it's all based on this great idea of being called into God's family. Chapter 4, verse 1. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Notice there in verse 6, Since we have the same Father, Paul says, walk in the manner worthy of your calling. Verse 1. What is your calling? In this case, be who you are in the family of God. Sons and daughters of the most wonderful Father. Brothers and sisters to people who Jesus, those people around you, today, right now, who put their faith in Jesus Christ, God considered them so precious that he sent his only son to die for them. Is that how you think about those people? around you this morning or when you walk in and when you walk out and then look at his exhortation there in verses one through four patience humility gentleness forbearance eagerness to maintain and build the gospel unity and maturity that God calls us to those are the marks of a healthy functioning family are those the hallmarks of your relationships here at Old North Church And then the rest of chapter 4 talks about two main things. Whenever a Christian buys into the dishonoring ways of the world and the prevailing prevailing culture and fail to honor the Father by their action, they effectively deny their adoption. So don't do that, Paul says. And to help each other not to do that, we're to help each other like family members. We're to talk to one another, exhort one another, warning each other, speaking our Father's words to each other so that we don't do that like the rest of the world, so that we don't dishonor our Father. Look there at chapter 4, verse verse 15. Rather, instead of being tossed to and fro by all these deceitful schemes and bad doctrine, rather, speak the truth and love to one another so we grow up in every way into the head into Christ Jesus. Now, I would never admit this to him, but I had a very good older brother. And he was a good older brother because, especially when I got into my teenage years, he would pull me inside and say, Marty, you're acting like an idiot, and you're not doing what dad's told you. Stop doing it. Now, I'm not commending this as a way to treat one another here at the church. 
But I am commending the idea that my brother cared for me and cared for our father so much to say, stop acting like this. Dad would be so disappointed. Mom would be so disappointed. Stop acting like this. And that's what Paul's saying. Speak to one another with all gentleness and kindness so that you can honor your father. Well, there are so many applications and implications beyond even here in Ephesians that we could talk about this morning, this idea of adoption. And I had to slice and dice to come down to a list, but I did want to leave you with some very real-world applications of this idea that you have been predestined to be adopted into God's family with everyone around you here this morning. And the first thing I want to say as an application is that In all seriousness, I want to say, if you have not been treated like a family member should be in any church, and if you've been deeply hurt by sinful behavior of people in churches, I want to say on behalf of Christians, I'm sorry. I also want to ask you to come talk to us. Come talk to one of the pastors, one of the elders. You don't, you cannot retreat away just because that happened. Come talk to us. The second thing leading on from that I want to say is that there is no excuse for anything less than graciousness and love with those around you. I mean, think about how the Jews felt. You have to now not, you don't only have to talk to the Gentiles, you not only have to get along with them, you have to consider them family members. And they get to come to every family get together from now on. They were asked, those Jews in Ephesus were asked to embrace the Gentiles, but they weren't asked just to be inclusive. They were asked because those Gentiles were already included into God's family by adoption. So what I want to say and what I was convicted of this week is there's no boasting anywhere tolerated in the family of God. There are no special seats. There are no special positions. There are no better siblings. If there is a better sibling, it's Jesus as our elder brother. We don't deserve to be adopted in the family, as Paul says in Ephesians. So there should be no boasting. If people are different than us, we celebrate the differences. If people are sinning, then we don't look down upon them, but we look on them as a helpful brother and sister and say, don't dishonor your father like that. Come on, we'll do this together. We'll help each other. We treat people as if we believe, really believe, that they're brothers and sisters in Christ. Because I know the hard part. We often act out of our emotions, right? And so I don't know someone, or I'm I'm a little bit shy, and I don't want to talk to someone, or I may not have anything to say to them, so I just retreat back, or I stay indifferent. But Paul says the opposite. Treat each other like brothers and sisters. And there's an interesting thing. When you decide to love others and act well for them, even when you're not sure, even when you don't know them, you will actually start to like them more. Base your actions out of your knowledge. They are brothers and sisters in Christ. Third thing I want to say is if you're struggling to appreciate those around you in church, if you're struggling with a set of relationships here at church, or if you're struggling to connect with people here at Old North Church, remember two things. First of all, you were intentionally and planned to be here with these people by God for your own growth and maturity. 
So maybe God has you in a struggling, hard relationship here at church. And maybe it's so that you will grow in patience and forbearance. But also know you are here to grow, but you've also been placed here intentionally by God to help other people grow as well. It may very well be that you've been put in a tough set of relationships here, or tough set of circumstances here, so that God in his kindness can use you to help those people grow. That's an application for this. God has predestined you to be adopted into this family for a purpose. Families stick together. They don't bail on each other, even when times are hard. Number four, the downside to a large church is it's kind of like high school. You can choose to associate with this group of people and not that group of people. No offense to you over there. But you can choose to hang out with people who are like you. You can choose to hang out with people who reinforce who you are. You can choose to hang out with people who are in the same set of circumstances to the exclusion of many, many other people. And what I want to encourage you this morning is don't assume that position completely. Now, it will happen naturally. You will associate and gravitate towards certain people and not others. You share seasons in life and all that, and that's fine and good, but don't give in to that position completely. Work hard to be with those outside of your comfort zone. Why? Because they're your brothers and sisters in Christ. They're not just casual acquaintances. And there's a few ways you can do this. First of all, you could join a small group on Wednesday nights where we very much, as much as we can, intentionally put people together, old and young, from different backgrounds, so that we associate with other types of people. Secondly, you can have someone over to your house. (laughs) You can look to your left, you can look to your right and say, you know what, I'm going to do this. They are a brother and sister in Christ, I'm going to have them over to our house. Well, even easier than that, next week you can come back and say, I'm going to sit somewhere different to try to associate with different types of people here at Old North Church. And let me just say something real quick about generational differences. Now, we do appreciate the differences. By saying that we're brothers and sisters in Christ, we're not flattening out all relationships. We do appreciate, like Titus 2 says, that older women will teach the younger women, older men to teach the younger men. But within those differences, there is no boasting, no condescension, no superiority. So when younger people look up to older people, there's no condescension and uh, they don't understand, they're past their time, they're no help to me. No, they're a brother and sister in Christ. Bought by the same blood. Precious and valuable in God's eyes. When an older person, person looks down and says, oh, the church is going to pot because all these younger people, these people have been bought with a price by the blood of Christ. You can't look down on them. This is an application of the family of God. Number five, one of the biggest complaints we hear about Old North Church is that people struggle to connect. How do I connect, Pastor? I can't connect. Well, let's take what we've learned and show that theology is very practical. See, I think that you all, or most of you, have experienced this idea of the brotherhood and sisterhood of Christ amongst all Christians outside the walls more than inside the walls. Let me give you an example. Have you had it happen to you when you were traveling on the road somewhere? Or have a new coworker get introduced to you? Or at a party, and unexpectedly you find out that this person is a Christian. You know how your posture changes towards that person. 
you open up, you talk, you, you joyfully share the fact that you are brothers and sisters in Christ, even if you don't think that way. I've been welcomed into people's homes as a complete stranger just by the fact that they found out that I was a Christian when I've been traveling on the road. That's amazing. And my question is, why is it that it happens out there, but it doesn't happen here? When people come here and say, I can't connect, I don't know how to connect, I say, well, have you tried talking with someone? So I, I'm, I don't really have anything in common with these people. I don't know what to say. You don't need to look for a common interest. You have something much more important. You have the same father. You have the same rich, deep, wonderful history. You have so very much to talk about. You have so very much in common with everyone around you this morning. And Paul says, and I'll say, let's start acting upon it. Much more substantive than sports teams or your stage in life is the fact that we have the same father, is the fact that we have the same gospel, we have the same future, the same hope. There's our common interest. Number six, there is no family work beneath you. You came into the family undeserving and you still are, as am I. So that means there is no job, no task that needs to be done in the family of God that is beneath you. I was at the doctor's office this week with my mother. She had outpatient surgery, and she came out the door, and I grabbed her arm to walk her to the truck uh, to take her home, and she said very nicely to the lady in the waiting room, my son takes such good care of me. And the lady looked at her and said, he better. You cared for him all those years. It's about time he does something. I don't even know me. Why are you yelling at me? But the point being, I took care of my mom because I love her, but the point being is it's what needed to be done. And yes, I had to take a day off work. And yes, I had to sit there in the waiting room and listen to the banality of morning talk show. Oh, I've put cement in my ears. But you know what? It was needed. It needed to be done. So when family work needs to be done in the household of God, let's not complain. Let's not say, oh, someone else will do it. Or I've done that already. I'm not going to do any more of that. That's not how families operate, do they? And our final point of application is probably the most important, if you could label it as such. Our adoption into God's family is not an end of itself. God the Father has a higher goal for his adopted family, to live together in holiness and blamelessness to promote his business. See, that means that Jesus, or God the Father and Jesus the Son occupy the center stage of this family. And if God occupies the center stage, then we should get on with his business and his priorities, not our own. In the Middle East, at the time Paul wrote Ephesians, a son, when he was out and about in the marketplace in the world, would never talk about his own business and his own happenings. He would only ever talk about his father's happenings, his father's business. We are now part of God's family, and part of his business. What is that business? To tell everybody about his son, Jesus, and to make sure other family members are doing the family practice, are in on the family business. So my question is this. Is that your business now that you're a family member? Are you bought in? Are you vested in the family business? 
This has to be a conviction for us this morning, doesn't it? Am I on about my father's business or my own? Does my commitment to grow in Christ reflect that? Does how I use my time and my money and my energies and do my friends, when I talk about them, is it I'm just flowing with the ideas coming from my father of his business, his priorities? Are you on about your father's business now that you're in the family? Well, there are lots of more of applications we can make. And my prayer is that the word of God will dwell with you richly this week so that God will convict you and grow you as I pray that it, he does that for me continually. We started this day thinking through a few different portraits and associations that we have with our biological families. Some good, some not so good. And we admitted that pretty much the same thing happens when we associate with the church. Some good, some not so good. And my hope is looking at Ephesians that we've developed some better ideas, some better expectations, and better associations, which I pray will lead to a better family life here at Old North Church. We've seen that the essence of understanding the church as family comes down to one of understanding our paternity and our priorities. That's how you could summarize this. We ground all our relationships out of the reality that all those who are put their faith in Jesus Christ are dearly beloved family members with one father and we, brothers and sisters in Christ. And so may I ask you as we close, are those brothers and sisters in Christ the people you are giving of highest commitment to? Pastor Chris will talk more about that next week. And when we form the rest of our busy lives around our father's business and around his wonderful priorities, the church is built up and the father in Christ Jesus is glorified. Paternity and priority. These are family matters. Let's pray. Blessed be you, our God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You have blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Lord, even as you chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Lord, you've predestined us for adoption as sons and daughters through Christ Jesus, according to your great will and purpose, to the praise of your great name. We thank you, Lord. Change us, Lord, so that we will be honorable and honoring sons and daughters, brothers and sisters, helping one another to promote your great name and your great ways and your great son. Cleanse us of our selfishness. Illumine us to your righteousness and righteous ways of living. And bind us together, Lord, as the family of God to do your great work for the great hope that we have. We thank you, we praise you, amen.